Let's have a little story. How about that? Now, there was a time when I almost died. Now you're interested, aren't you? Okay. And it was by the biggest gangbanger girl I've ever seen. Okay. So I used to drive about 3,000 miles a week. Uh, I was doing an um, oil change every week in my little Toyota uh, Camry, 1990 Toyota Camry. And um, it had like 400 million miles on it, I think, but it just kept going, as a good Toyota Camry should. Um, and uh, I just remember, we, I, would, I was driving all over. I was building pools. And so I'd be in Simi Valley one week, and then I'd be in Dana Point another week, and I just, everywhere, just everywhere. And uh, I was coming home, and I couldn't remember exactly where I was at, but w- traffic was diverted off the freeway because it was so bad. And you know that's already a disaster. That spells disaster, because people are like, I have to get off the freeway? And so anyway, got off the freeway, we're in traffic, and it was nuts. I mean, it's kind of that on a street standstill, barely moving. Every five minutes, you're like, hey, I moved a foot. Um, and so, and it's, it was during the summer when it was really hot outside, so already people are very angry. And I just remember there, there was that little kind of side lane that's, that's for emergencies only and jerks, <laughs> right? Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. The, the law-abiding citizens are there, and we're like, emergency only. Oh, and there goes a jerk. Um, <laughs> it's not for you. And I'm the kind of guy that says, everybody should do what we're supposed to do, and I'm going to make you do what we're supposed to do. Okay? And so at that time, I think I just merged my car over a little bit because I saw this person trying to get through, and I'm like, oh, no, you don't. Not on my watch because I'm citizen patrol. Right? Some of you have been there. My wife always tells me, it's not up to you to teach him a lesson. Like, I'm the guy driving by on the road that sees the, the, the guy open the car door in the middle of traffic in public, and I'm like, I kind of want to take his door off just to teach him a lesson. Right? Because he'd be so much wiser for it. So much wiser. And I'd get him a new door with insurance because it's his fault. Anyway, so, um, you know, that's me. And at least it definitely was me when I was young and dumb. Um... And, and I just remember, I kind of blocked this person, and that person got so mad they got out of their car. And again, this was the biggest gal I've ever seen in my life. Um, she was tatted everywhere, and just, she was wearing some kind of gangbanger thing, and she just started going at me. I mean, I'm in my car, right? And she's just, I mean, just every explicit, explicative you could imagine, just being shouted at me and how terrible I was and how stupid. I mean, just going off. And we're in the middle of traffic. And I'm like, you get out of your car. You're seriously angry. And so I did what I normally would do at that time, which I don't do anymore. I escalated the situation. Because that's what you want to do, Right? I did my patented thing. Now, I don't do this anymore, but when someone would get really mad at me, this is what I would do. I would look at him and go, <laughs> hey, all right, yeah, and I would do that. I'm not even kidding. When someone is angry and you do that, they go into a rage. And this girl just looked at me like, oh, no, you did it. And she started hitting the car. I'm not even kidding. Hitting the window. I thought it was going to break. Started getting on top of the front. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Because she's going to destroy my car, which was already kind of destroyed anyway. So I didn't really, but I just didn't want to get beat up and killed by this woman who could have probably beat me up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't tell you this story to, and I got away. Obviously, I'm here today. So I got away. Um, but I just remember looking around and people were like, just their faces, like, what is going on? 
I don't tell you this story today to tell you how near I came to death, uh, but also to say, um, I think we've all been subject to or a part of anger and rage. To a point so much so that we get to this place where we're like, I get that. Like, I understand. I've either, either been that angry or I've had that much anger directed towards me. The crazy thing about the God we serve is that he came down the mountain. We're going through love came down. And what I love about this is love didn't come down just to be like, hey, check it out. This is what you need to do. Okay, I'm out of here before you touch me. No, he came down to be subject to our anger, to be subject to our rage. Like God felt it. Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, took the pain, took the punishment, took the abuse and the torture and the rage and the anger that we dished out. And that is the God we want to look at. That's the God that that honestly says, I'm not afraid to take what you can dish out. And I'm going to live it, I'm going to be near it, so that I can show you a way to get through it. That's the God we serve. And so as we see this God that comes down into the valley below, where we're all kind of just yelling and screaming at each other and hitting each other's cars, (laughs) he's like, I get it. I've been a part of it. It's been directed at me. And so now, take my hand, follow me, and we'll go through this. I'll take you through the valley of the shadow of crazy people trying to kill you. (laughs) Right? Because that's the way it is. Or maybe your own anger. Some of you are like me. I've been like subject to people's road rage, and I've also been on the other end of that where I have been so filled with rage on the road. Or so rage with my family. Or so rage with... You, you get, I think we could just all fill in the blank there. We're filled with it. It's around us every day. But thank be to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came down to live amongst us and to show us through. Because that is our hope. Amen? So let's pray and let's get into this. Everybody stand as we pray and get ready to jump into God's word. Lord, we thank you for the awesome, awesome person of your son, Jesus Christ, coming to us, reaching us down in the valley below. You weren't content with just sticking around up high. You came and made yourself low so that we might be lifted up. God, we started this series, Love Came Down, to look at you who met his people on the mountain, but not so we would have to climb it to reach you, but that you would reach us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're going to be looking at some tough stuff today, uh, anger and adultery. We're going to be looking at things that that just kind of make us uncomfortable, and when I'm honest with myself, I struggle with this. But that's the point. We have a God that reaches down, picks us up, even in our struggle, and leads us through it. It's not up to me. It's not up to my brothers and sisters out here. It's up to you. Your name is on the line. And that's who we hold fast to, is the love that came down. Amen. All right, now keep standing. We're going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. Jesus starts off and he says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to... To judgment, or the judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Oops. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. 
So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, well then leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You see, when you're on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your ancestor may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust and has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, yes, even, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. All right, you may be seated. Again, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through this very practical teaching that Jesus is giving to all people. I can't emphasize that enough. These aren't perfect people. These are people just like you and me, screwed up. imperfect, broken, don't have it all together. These same people he's talking to are going to hurt him. But he still comes down to meet them. And Jesus is doing something completely radical here, which I think is awesome, because Jesus loves to do that. (laughs) You see, in that day, you would have a rabbinical teaching, or a rabbi, or a teacher, who would say, you've heard it said... Let me tell you now. And what they were doing, this is a very common uh, understanding of interpretation of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the law, uh, God's great commandments and gifts that he gave to his people, the word. And so you would have these rabbis or teachers who would say, now, this is what was said, let me explain it to you and give you the spin. But this is how they would do it. When they would say that, they would say, now, this is what is said, this is what all the interpretations are, and I'm just going to give you a little understanding, a little bit more of that interpretation. But I'm not going to go against the interpretations. I'm not going to go against what has been said too about this whole thing. With all the different people that have added to it. I'm just going to give you my little tiny take. But see, Jesus does something completely radical. He goes away from the interpretations. He goes straight back to the law and he says, now here's the original real take. You see, that's the huge thing. No rabbi would do that. Because who does Jesus think he is? Seriously! I mean, you could just see the rabbis go, no, no, he did You know what I'm saying? They would have gotten angry. They'd be like, what? Did he, did he just? And you know they're mad because their, their pentameter or whatever it is goes up, right? Their, their tone, you can always tell when people are angry because they, what? Right? And you know they're probably angry. They're upset. Because he didn't just do that, did he? Who does he think he is? He does something no other rabbi would have ever done. He does something only God can do. Again, we want to say we can't scale the mountain. Only God can. We cannot ever get to God unless God picks us up and takes us to himself. And he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so what we have in the scripture is God saying, let me tell you what it really is so that you really know and so that you can truly journey with me. I love this. And so what we, what we see here is the first, if you're filling, filling in, you, know, you just crank the blanks here. If you're doing it, this is great stuff because I just really see that God is teaching us something here that's so important. So please, where the law is mechanical, the Messiah is living. This is so important. Where the law is mechanical, 
the Messiah is living. See, he says, you have heard it said, but I say. And basically what Jesus is pointing out is the need for our relationship over regulation. And the Jews were missing this all the time. They'd gotten to a place where it was all about the mechanical and the outside and everything in between and not the actual inner workings and spirit and living aspect. This is why Jesus doesn't say, I am what you need to do as far as the principles. Let me explain to you everything. Let me give you, just, you know what, let me write a book of seven highly effective ways to be my follower. <laughs> he doesn't do that, okay? He doesn't do that. He says, I am the way. How does anybody be the way? I am the life. You, you, you get what Jesus is doing. It's almost like he's saying, uh, it's a living thing, not a mechanical thing. Jesus does this all the time. You see, we have a tendency to offer to-do lists, whereas Jesus offers life. He takes us from the to-do list, list to the life. Many people want nothing to do with God, and I think it's because of the rules and regulations. I know for a long period of my life, it, it came down to that. Oh man, there's one more thing I have to do. There's one more thing I need to be. Anybody been there? I mean, that describes many of the Christian life, I think, to most people. But this is missing the living word. And let, I'm going to say this twice. Love did not come down to bring more rules. Love came down to connect us to the ruler. You see, love did not come down to bring you and I more rules. He came down, love came down to connect us to the ruler. And that's ultimately what it should be. And so if we are looking at this in a mechanical way, it, it, it instantly becomes more rules and what you need to do and what I need to do and this is important. You better, if you don't, then mm, as opposed to I just want to sit at my master's feet. I want to live with the living one who's here and not silent. Now, when I was growing up, my mom was a very busy woman. She had over six jobs at all times. And she was always working. And I don't fault her for that. In fact, I so much appreciate that she put food on the table uh, by being very diligent with God, God, what God had given her. And but the, the downside of, of a mom that has six jobs is I didn't see her very much. She'd be gone from six in the morning till six o'clock at night and she was wiped out. She would give me a quarter. I would rub her feet. I hated it, but I got a quarter. You know what I'm saying? Because I helped my mom, you know? <laughs> so I, I did that. But what she would do is she would leave a list in my bathroom because that's where you go when you first wake up. At least I do because I'm a human being and I have to go. So I would go in there as a kid. I would go in the bathroom and I'd see this yellow notepad uh, uh, piece of paper and I went, ugh. Oh. Because that was the chore chart. That was my list of to-dos for the day. But I'm a list guy. And, and she would try to tell me before. I, I actually got to the point where I was like, hey, I like that list because then I can check it off and I know what I need to do, right? And so I would try to go through that list. But I didn't always do the best job, right? I have four kids. I love them to death. But I think after the third time we finally get them to wash the dishes, they get it right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, come on, get back here. Does it really look like a chunk of broccoli should be in this cup, right? <laughs> Come on, go back and clean it. So, because um, yeah, that's how it happens. It's like, seriously, how did you not see this? How did you? There's a pizza in the dishwasher. A full pizza. How did that? Anyway. Um, and so that's the way I was with my, with my mom. She would say, do this, and I would just do kind of a, you know, I'm getting it done, the mechanical, all that. But then I would go stay with my aunt and my uncle. 
And, and, and not much had changed. I mean, I would go to my uncle and they still had things they needed to do. But I would wake up in the morning and my aunt would be cooking pancakes and my uncle was running around and, and my, my cousins would wake up and, 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 and it was like, you know what? I have things to do, but I would do it. And I did it with a, with a smile. Because it wasn't about a list. I mean, poor mom. I mean, I don't, I don't discount her. That's all she could give me. Because she was so busy. But at my aunt, uncle's, it was a relationship. And it was like, I did chores like nobody's business. Like, I was ultra uber. I was like Mr. Clean. Like, Mr. Clean came in and I made him cry. I was like, you stink. He's like, I know it compared to you. <laughs> That's right. He's like, I curse you. You're going to go bald older. I'm like, oh. He got me. Because I outcleaned Mr. Clean. I did. And I didn't do that because I was just like, hey, a great to-do list. <laughs> no, it was a relationship. You see, I was living it. And it just was so much easier. And, and, I, and again, I don't fault my mom for that. But that's the difference between the list mentality and the living mentality. And some of us, we go to church. Why? Because it's in the list. We read the Bible because it's in the list. Or I go and serve because it's in the list. Or I do this because it's in the list and list and list. And we've lost the, the living ruler. It's become mechanical. It's become rote. And we've missed it. You see, love came down to set us free to life, not more rules. Let me give you a verse really quick. 2 Corinthians 3, 5-6. through 6. I love this verse. And this is just awesome stuff because the Apostle Paul is going through it in the book of 2 Corinthians. And one, and one of these days we're going to go through this book because it's so good. Uh, but he says this, it is, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Again, we can't hit this mountain on our own. Our qualification comes from God who came down. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. He has done it. He came to us and this covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, not of mechanical laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Do you see just just the, the, the relationship with the ruler, not the rules and regulations? See, the truth is, when we live rules-based regulation... That Christianity is what we, we, we tend to be a shouter of what we shouldn't do. We kind of get on the bowl, you know, the little soapbox with our bullhorn and say, don't, 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 don't. And we become a very negative, negative, don't-based relational person. See, this Christianity shares death and don'ts. But what Paul is pointing out is when we live that relational, spirit-based Christianity, then instead of shouting the don'ts, we model the do's. Do, do you get what I'm saying? We, we just model the dues. That's what Jesus did. He never got up and said, stop it, you're horrible, you're evil. You know what, you're all sinners, go home. <laughs> he didn't do that. Now, the only people he really told to, to, to take a hike or get with it or you're going to get in big trouble are those people that said, we are right, we are good. Look at all these other dogs. I guess my question is simple. Are you tired of the mechanical? Are you tired of the rote? Where in your life do you, do you not do this or... Shout there because you're missing the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Life inside of us. Secondly, the law is external. This is just that, that natural progression from mechanical to life, external to internal. See, the spirit is internal. The law is external, the spirit is internal. The law can look only at the outside. The external and deal only with what we, you know, the, the, the fruit, I guess you could say, or just that outward look. I can look at you and I can see. 
But the Spirit deals with the internal, the stuff inside. Do you, do you remember last week, if some of you were here, you, you remember when I kind of told that story about the dead thing in the walls of my old uh, uh, um, office that I used to work in? Pretty gross, right? Well, it's like God went, ha, 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 funny you bring that up. Because the other day, in our new house, Krista goes, there's something scratching. That's one of my daughters. There's something scratching in the walls. And she's kind of freaked out, right? Now, this house was built in the 50s. It's a very well-built house. But when you got something that's been around for a while, you got a little couple of escape hatches in different places that things can go. You get what I'm saying. Something got in the walls. And it was scratching because it was in like the death throes, you know. It's like, I'm going to die. And it died. And so our den happened to smell for like a week straight. I'm lighting candles. I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say? <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate this smell because nothing smells like death. And the other day, I went to it. In fact, yesterday, it was over by the wall. And the smell's pretty much gone. But I went over by the wall and I'm like, yeah, it's still there. There's no way I can get to it unless I bust that door, the wall down. And believe me, I can't do that. If I was Dick Ashley, you know, with the skills he has, or Brandon, you know, I would do that. Because I'd be like, I could just bust that down, repatch it, and fix it. Oh, no, you don't want me doing that. And so, you know, but, but there's something in there that died. And eventually, I just told my wife, I said, eventually it's just going to rot away. You won't smell it anymore. That's just what, ha- that's just what happens. And she's just like, mm, I know she's always going to be thinking about that thing in the wall. And I'm sorry, I wish I could do something about it, but I can't. All I can deal with is painting the outside. All I can deal with is cleaning up this. I'll put the laundry away here. I'll make it look good. But really, the reality is there's death on the inside. This is what Jesus came to do. You see, we can only manage the mechanical. We can only deal with the external. But Jesus comes in and brings life on the inside to the internal. And that is what makes all the difference. See, God can literally go through, as he went through in meeting the, the men and women, disciples who were up in the upper room as they were afraid and scared. The doors were all locked. And what happened? Jesus walked through as if nothing could stop him because nothing can. And internally, he walks through and, and he cuts through bone and marrow and sinew and he hits that battle on the inside where the death really rages. And where it really is a difference. I talked to a, a brother the other day and I was, I was so sad for him because he was this older gentleman who had been dealing with this younger kid who had so much potential. He had been sent to all the right camps. He had literally gone through so much to, to, to teach him to, to be a better person and not go through the drugs and the struggle of addiction and everything in between. But at the end of the day, when he left those camps and he left that area where it was a drug-free zone, he's now out on the streets and he's drugging it up and he's dying Because no matter how much we take away from the external, if we don't deal with the internal, it's never going to change. It's never going to change. You might be able to stop this for a time. You might be able to deal with that for a season. But unless the living word gets into your heart and changes the internal, it'll never come out into the external. See... Jesus does this in the book of Matthew. I love this as he's talking to the... And and again, remember how I alluded earlier to he was shouting at some of those people that thought they were all right? That happened to be the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. In Matthew 27, verses 27 to 28, he says this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees? Hypocrites. People who put on masks, who look so good, but really you're just playing a role. Ouch. I've been there. I've been there. For you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, 
beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones. Aye. And all sorts of impurities. See, outwardly you look like righteous people. You're so clean. And people are like, wow, look how good that person is. But inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Do you see, if we try to, try to take the mechanical way and manage the external, we're always losing the life and the internal. The problem with external is it makes God out to be something we can manage or at least try to. See, Jesus says this. He says, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to the judgment. That's an interesting thing because we, we can look at that and go, oh yeah, you know, if you murder, you're, you're going to pay a punishment with God. That's not what he's alluding to. Actually, what that judgment was, was a court process with the Sanhedrin and with the Pharisees that had to do with, hey, you commit murder, if you do this, then you're going to have to stand trial. That's what they were talking about. That's how they were interpreting this idea of murder. It had nothing necessarily to do with God. It had everything to do with, we're going to manage you, and we're going to put you away, and we're going to, you know, basically punish you, and put you in a punitive system. See, the crazy thing is, they forgot that we, as human beings, are created in the image of God, imago Dei. God's ultimate image is put into every single one of you. That's why there's no two alike. And we are called to love each other and respect each other. But don't care about that, because what it ultimately comes down to is you're going to stand in court. That's what they've reduced it down to. And God says, no, I say to you, I say to you, the spirit, you're not dealing with the outside external mechanical, you're dealing with a God issue. You're dealing with a heart issue. It's not just your actions. Now, if you're like me, you're probably saying, sounds good, but I've never murdered anybody. Right? This isn't just a physical murder. And that's the part I really hate. (laughs) Because there have been people I've been so angry with, I've wanted to just kind of snuff them out. You know, get a pillow and just kind of over their head while they sleep. Hey, it's peaceful. It's a Christian way to kill somebody, right? No. No. If I'm honest with myself, I've murdered quite a bit of people. But there's more than just the physical. See, we can murder people's reputation, can't we? We can murder their confidence. We can murder their hope. We can murder their dreams. This has been done through the years so many times. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When you actually look at what he says, but I tell you, it's not just a physical. It's a spiritual. It's an emotional. It's an intellectual. It is a lot of type of murder. We can keep people from seeing us anymore, thereby effectively writing them off and murdering them from our life and our timeline. Well then, never see you again. Murder. See that lady that wanted to split my head open? That's just one form. (laughs) There's many other forms. Murder is anything that destroys the spirit and soul in any shape or form. This is why Jesus brings it to a level where he says, saying raka, which is the, the, uh, the Hebrew understanding of fool. Idiot. See, in verse 23, Jesus is pointing us to that positive aspect, getting out of this. He says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar of the temple, which you had to do as a good observing Jew, as someone who wanted to follow God, that's not going to do it. See, many people believe if we get to this point where we say, okay, you know what, I know I got issues, I tried to, I really hurt this guy's reputation, so what I'll do is I'll go to God. Mm -mm. Going to God is great. But Jesus says, you're at the temple, you've got your sacrifice, good for you. Set it down. Go to the person. 
Suddenly you remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, Jesus is pointing out the most important running theme throughout all of Scripture. Love God with all your heart, minds, and soul. But love your neighbor as yourself. You can't have one without the other. It's like love and marriage. (laughs) Our love of God is always tied with the other. Always. If you say in the book of 1 John, I love God, but you hate your neighbor, there's no love of God in you. You have to love others if you love God and vice versa. It's the way it is. This is the crazy thing. So what now? What do we do? We need to examine ourselves. This is the important part. Please don't miss this. We have to examine ourselves based on the relationship with the living God. Not keeping rules or being mechanical. But we need to step. As Jesus stepped to meet us, he now takes us by the, by the side or by the arm or by the hand and says, now step with me. And this is the important part. I've just got two things here for you. But in concerns with anger, we want to step towards forgiveness. You see, I don't believe we can take more than two steps in this down here valley you know, without God and not bump into somebody and be angry with somebody or have angry somebody, somebody angry with us. Forgiveness is that natural first part of stepping with God. You see, Jesus had, he modeled it. I mean, his parents didn't get him. His parents didn't get him. And they had dreams and visions met by archangels and whatnot. And they still screwed it up. They still messed it up. Some of it was outside. I mean, he grew up without a dad. Joseph died while he was young. That's got to that's be hard. I know you're dealing with hurts. I know you're dealing with brokenness. I know you're dealing with the forgiveness factor. But he showed us what to do. See, maybe that first step is you. And I know this sounds ridiculous. But I think the biggest step in forgiveness is forgiving ourselves. And I don't mean we come to ourselves and say, I have all the power to forgive myself. No. What we do is we go to God and say, God, I'm struggling. I am mad at myself. I'm mad at what I've done. I'm mad at what I did. I, I just don't like myself. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. But if we can go to God and say, God, I need help with this, God says, absolutely. And as you're looking to love me, now look to love others and allow people into your life as they can pray for you and help you through this forgiveness. Because that is truly the part of forgiveness that most people forget. They go to God and they say, God, I need your help. But then as God says, absolutely, now go to your brother and talk to them. They forget that part. So in forgiveness, this is why we have prayer partners at the end of the message, is to say, we are here to help you and to walk along with you because we're on this mountain together and God is walking through us and God is for us, but I need to show you and put my arm around you and help you and carry that burden and pray for you. Will you let me? And many of us in this area of forgiveness say, no, I'm good, I'll deal with it on my own. And we suffer and we become sick. We need to leave it at the altar. We need to go and seek forgiveness at all costs. Lastly, in concerns with adultery, we step towards a final finish. You see, if we have forgiveness as our first part, then it should be that final finish with adultery. And honestly, we take this word adultery and a lot of times we say, oh, it just has to do with looking at somebody and going, ooh la la. (laughs) Hey, looky there. No, that's not just adultery. Right? That's not just adultery. If we're serious, adultery is taking anything. Adultery in its ultimate Hebraic sense of what Jesus is talking about is saying, taking something pure and making it impure. 
You have a gorgeous cup of water that you're just like, it's so clean, it's so perfect, all the impurities are taken out, but I'm just going to add 5% of animal dung to it. Anybody want to drink it? No! No! Because you know now it's impure. That's adultery, taking what is pure and breaking it down into something impure. And God says, you need to have a final finish in that area. And many of us, Many of us don't get this. This is why Jesus goes this final finished step. He says, so if your eye, even your good one, causes you to lust or gouge it out, throw it away. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, cut it off. It's the final finish. And this isn't just saying, I am going to do this. This is saying, God, help me through this. It's not about you saying, I'm going to do this. It's about God saying, help me through this. Do you get it? Please, this is the final finish. Paul, as he was winding down his days, said at the end, I am guilty of no man's blood. I've done whatever it takes. I've beat my body into submission. And not because it was all about me and my things, because I trusted in God. I did the forgiveness when I didn't want to, but he walked me through it. And I had that final finish with those people that was really hard, or that thing that was really tough. But this is where we have the opportunity to lean in together. There's so many times I've tried to have this final finish on my own. I've said, God, help me. But I never walked to my brother who was right across the aisle and said, help me. Through the power of God, can I, can I work together with you on this? Because I can't do it on my own. We were never meant to do this on our own. You see, this is why the mission is about discipleship. This is why the mission is truly about family and about walking together. Because so much of the time we've taken Christianity and we've reduced it down to this reductionistic idea of, hey, I've got my past and I'm going to heaven and it's me and God, peace out. And the reality is God comes down and says, I'm here to walk with you. We're here to bring heaven on earth. We have a great reward waiting for us, but there is such a reward right now as we say, thy kingdom come on earth now. And many of you are walking in hell because of unforgiveness. Many of you are walking in hell today because you're not able to do the final finish on your own. Please, let us help you with that. This is why we have grow groups. Our goal is not to have a big old worship service all the time. Our goal is to have a nice worship service, but then also those people in that worship service going to the grow groups. Because that's where we grow. That's where I can put my arm around. And I can get my arm put around me. Because by the way, I still get angry. (laughs) A lot. And I need to go to my friends and my family and I need to say, pray for me. Because I'm not, I can't do this without you. Please let us develop that as a family. We do this together. Let's let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. Because this is simple stuff, but it's, it's, Let's just be honest, it's hard. It's easy to understand, but it's hard to do. I struggle with this. There's been so many times that I've struggled with unforgiveness and I've thought, I'll just give it to God, I'll just give it to God. But when I didn't lean into community, I didn't grow. So my my prayer right now is that you would take advantage of those people that want to pray for you today. And those groups that want to meet with you tomorrow. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for being the God that supplies all our needs 
in Christ Jesus. But God, if we're thinking hermeneutically, if we're thinking biblically, if we're looking at the word as it should, we say all ours, and ours doesn't mean just mine or just yours. It means ours as a church, ours as a body, ours as your people together. Many of my brothers and sisters are struggling because they're not walking with us as you wanted it to be. So, Father God, I just pray at this moment, may we get out of that mindset of me and start thinking about our. We want to live with you. We want to journey together. We want your word, your Son of God, to fall afresh on us and bring us together to this mountain. We love you and we thank you. Give us the strength today for our tomorrows. In Jesus' name, amen.